Lord, we just ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and, and as we look at this psalm and, and see you in this beautiful psalm and help us to be able to apply what we read in your son's name. Amen. Psalm 84. To the chief musician upon Getith, a psalm for the sons of Korah. How amiable are your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs for you, yea, even faints for your courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow has found a house, and the sparrow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even, my, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in your house. They will be still praising you. Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, who, in whose heart are the ways of them. Who passing through the valley of Baca, make, make it a well, and rain also fills the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appears before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in, the, in your courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusts in you. This is one of those beautiful psalms. <laughs> so it starts out, how amiable are your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. Amiable, amiable here is really greatly loved. How greatly loved are your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. And tabernacles means tents, but in this place it also means literally where God dwells, the tabernacle. Okay. Remember at this point in the psalm we still have God's tabernacle and the tabernacle is just outside of Jerusalem. But here he's saying, how greatly loved is God's dwelling places or his tabernacle. Are we excited about the dwelling place of God? That's what this, verse, this whole psalm is all about, being where God is. And one of the greatest things to be celebrating God and being in his dwelling place for us is to be with his church. And I use his church, which is us okay not necessarily coming to the building but being with the individuals who make up the church if something was to happen to this building we still have God's church here because it's the people right. if this whole building was to disappear and be taken off the face of the earth we would still be the church we could meet in a tent we could meet in somebody's home we could we could meet in the park next door underneath the, underneath there on the on the benches and still be his church in chloride because this is what we take pleasure in God when we meet together is there he says where two or three come together in his name he is in the midst of them and hopefully you've experienced that maybe just getting together with two or three people and talking about God and you end up have been in his presence there and it says my soul longs Yea, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And here he's saying, he longs. The idea, do you long for God? 
you have this great urge to be in his presence, to spend time with him, whatever that might mean, in the word, listening to some, some speaker on the computer or radio or TV, being with his other members of the body, do you long for that? I love spending time in the word and, and being taught. And I just love that. When, when Sunday morning comes around and Wednesday night and all the other times that we, Sunday, uh, Sunday night, Wednesday night, the other Bible studies, I can't wait for those events so that I can mm -hmm. do, be with God's people. I can't wait for the times in the prison when I actually teach, which is now three times a week at the prison. I get to teach eight times a week. <laughs> and it's great. I love it. I think it's good that you're preaching I do too. It's fun. I mean, no, at the prison. That's neat. It, it is fun. But do you long for God? Is there a deep desire? And he says, yea, even faint for the courts of the Lord. And this whole idea of, of fainting means to be accomplished. It means to be desired so greatly. He's waiting to get there. He can't wait to get to God's courts, to be where God is is. And remember, for the Jews, he was at the tabernacle. That is where he dwelt. That is where he met with the people. This is where they came to be able to, to minister, be ministered to. And it says, my heart. This word in the Hebrew literally means the innermost being of who he is. His innermost being. And he says, my flesh cries out for the living God. The question for us as Christians, does our innermost being desire to be with God? Is it our desire to be where he is? It isn't our desire to be with his people. And that comes down to what can keep you from coming to church? What can keep you from coming and being with God's people? Now, there are some legitimate things. Sometimes you have to work. We need money to work. I'm not saying you quit. You don't work just because you can't be at church because of it. But what keeps us from spending the time with God's people to listen to his word? I know some people that if they have a, a sore ankle, they're not coming to church. If they have a headache, they're not coming to church. There's all kinds of little reasons. But the question is, what can keep us from coming to church? How important is God to us? How, what can keep us from coming? And I've seen people, like I say, you know, they get a little, little headache and they don't come to church. One of the things I have found over my years is that people will just get up on those little things. I don't say, you know, if you've got pneumonia, get up and go to church. You know, or you have, you know, contagious disease, don't come, <laughs> please don't come to church and give it to everybody. But if you have something really, really small going on, get up, come to church. Most of the time, by the time you get there, it goes away. Because Satan is trying to keep you from coming to the church, and whatever it will take to keep you from coming, he'll throw at you on Sunday mornings. There, there are times, and this is something that's also important, there may be a time when it's more important to be with your family than to be at church, as long as it's not a habit. There may be a time when it is important to go out and camp and, and just be away from everything. There could be a time when it's time to be with your kids and, and do something. But how often does it happen? You know, is it every, every month, every, every week? And you have to look at that and say, God, what does God want? And just as I said, you may be at work, and that's fine too. 
as long as you don't skip everything that week. But that's not a problem. That's, again, between each individual. Verse 3, Yea, the sparrow has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my king and my God. This is kind of an interesting statement. You know, It says the birds have found a dwelling place. And there's really two thoughts on this. The God provides for the for the birds, and it should be equal that we find a place with God at, at his altar. Another school of thought says, well, the, the, the birds would build their nest in any little crevice of the rock uh, altar, and I don't think that's really what it's saying. Some people take it very literally, but we got to take, this is poetic, and most of the Psalms are poetic. David is desiring, but even in this we think, this is an open tent. The birds fly in and out of that tent, and to the altar and, and land on whatever they want. David is kind of jealous of their access to the to everything there in the guy in the in the tent. Now, are they living in the altar? I doubt it. The altar was burning fire all the time, but they would land on it. They would, you know, we've all seen birds go where they want. If they can fly in, they'll go where they want to go. And I love the one one commentator who said this is showing David's great desire. He wants to have the access to God. That these birds are birds are representing, they can fly in and out of that area, and he's saying they can go to places I can't go. But you think about this: David did not have the access to God that we have. God in the Old Testament was seen in the tabernacle in the holy of holies. Once a year, he could the, a pre, the high priest could go in. But they did not have the access that we have because we are his children and we can call him father. We have access to God that the Jews never even contemplated because they never had this idea of a personal God that loved them because he was a terror almost that stayed in the Holy of Holies and the priest was even, the high priest on that once a year was nervous that he, had he confessed all of his sins, had he given enough sacrifices before he even stepped in with the blood for the children of Israel. It was, a, it was a great honor to go into the Holy of Holies, but it was also a terrifying thing to go into the Holy of Holies. It talks about that they would tie a rope around the high priest's leg before he went into the Holy of Holies. And the little bells on his bottom of his garment were supposed to keep ringing the whole time, showing that he was walking around and ministering. And if he didn't, they assumed that he was dead. But this idea that David looked at the birds and said, I would love to have their access to God. You know, he's talking about the sparrows going back and forth, sitting on the rocks of the altar, sitting on the tent, sitting on the, on the walls. Maybe even they flew on the door, door of the tent. Who knows? You know, uh, there's been times when birds have flown into this building on me, so <laughs> then have to open up the doors and say, go on back out. You know, but here David is saying they have access. They have access to God. Verse 4, blessed are they that dwell in your house. They will be still praising you, Selah. The ones who lived there were the priests at, at various times. They would come in their sessions and be able to minister at the, temp, at the tabernacle. And they would live for two weeks at a time at the tabernacle or more. You think back at somebody like Eli and, and Samuel who went to, mother gave him over to, the, to, the, to God and he lived the rest of his life at the tabernacle 
And can you imagine being around God's presence so fully that you're dwelling with him? We have that option as, a, as Christians. Is God so special to you that you feel him all the time with you? We're in a relationship with God. This is what makes Christianity so special. We're not sitting here trying to follow a bunch of rules to please some angry deity who's looking to find some reason to punish us. He loves us so much, he gave his son so that we can be in an intimate relationship with him. Do you remember back when you first got saved? The, the joy, the lightness you, feel, you felt, that joy that your sins had been forgiven. We can have that at all times. All we got to do is keep that relationship with him and, and keep moving forward with him. Here's David saying, those who get to dwell in your tabernacle, those who get to dwell with you, Father, they will be praising you all the time. This is a fantastic thing. Do you feel that joy around you? We've talked this morning in Ephesians, speaking with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and bringing joy into our life. Are we praising God? How often do we praise God? There's some people, the only time they will sing a song or praise God is when they come to church. Hopefully that's none of us. Do we praise God? Do we lift him up? We talk in, in, in our prayer guide, we have the word acts. Adoration for God. Do we adore him when we come to prayer? Do we confess our sins? Do we give him thanksgiving? Do it, then we give him his supplication? You know, I've always said that word should actually be cats, but it should be confession, adoration, thanks, thanksgiving, and supplication. But you know, how many of us, we come to God in prayer, and we skip over confession, adoration, and thanksgiving, and we go straight to, God, give me. Most of us have done that and maybe do that most of the time. And God is saying, number one, we need to confess. We need to, clean, we need to be clean before we come before him. We need to adore him. God is asking for adoration. David's saying he was longing that he could just spend all of his days in God's presence. He wants to give us things. He doesn't want to just give us our needs, which is what he's promised. He's promised to meet our needs. But there's also times when he wants to give us good things. Just as any of us with our kids wanted our kids to have good things. I think when he gives a good thing, that's where being really blessed. It's part of blessing. We don't deserve it. We don't, we don't need it. It's just something he gives because he wants to bless us. But here we have David saying, I want to be in your presence, God. How do we get into his presence? We spend time praising him, worshiping him, getting into his word, and just spending time with him. Meditate on him. One of the great things is meditate on, one, on the verses you read in the morning. Read, you know, pick one or two verses and meditate on that verse, and you're going to find God in your presence each day. Very important for us to be meditating on his word. Really, when you're meditating on his word, it'll help you memorize it as well, because when you meditate on something all day, you're going to remember it. And you start thinking about it. You pick one verse out of whatever it is that you've read and say, God, what verse do you want me to pay attention to really special today? And meditate on that verse. 
think about it. And you're going to see God doing great things in your life because he wants to do great things. If we don't think about God all day and all week, he's not going to be giving us many blessings because he's not going to bless disobedience in those people. Now, that would be like living with somebody and the only time they come to see you is once a week and ask you for things. Now, you're going to go, oh, no, here they come again. But God is saying spend time. But we look at this and say, how much are we feeding our spirit? The word of God is our, will feed our spirit. And we want our spirit fed. We want to see everything work forward for us. And if we don't feed our spirit, we're starving that spirit and we're not going to be able to hear God's voice. People will go, well, how do I hear God's voice? Start spending time listening to him. I, I, I think back to back in the days when we had, before we had caller ID on our telephones, and you had to answer your telephone to find out who was on the other end. How many times could you, did you know who it was the minute they said hello? Why did you know who, well, how did you know that the, who it was? You knew their voice. You spent enough time talking to them that you knew their voice. Yeah, they got the wrong number. <laughs> but people will say, how do, I, how do I know the voice of God? You spend time talking with him. You spend time reading his word. You spend time listening to what he says. God is never going to tell you to do something that is against scripture. So this is very important. If, you're being, if you think you're being told by God to do something and it is against scripture, it's not his voice you're listening to. One of the great examples I've used is when I would talk to young people who are getting married. And they're going, they're going well, I think I'm supposed to get married to this person. I'm going, are they a Christian? Well, I don't think so. Then it is not God telling you because God says, don't be unequally yoked. Well, I love them, or I think, you know, no, God says don't be unequally yoked. So if it's something that God says don't do, God isn't telling you to do it. Okay? If somebody goes, well, I think God's telling me to go steal my food because I'm hungry. No, God's not telling you to do that. Okay, it's not something he wants you to do because it's against his principles. So we want to be able to look at that. Listen to his voice. Verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the ways of them. Our strength. Is our strength in God? Do we rest in God with a faith rest? This is important for us to understand. How many times do we think we're our own strength and we try to do things our own way? Most of us quite frequently. We go, you know, the, the old statement is, I've tried everything else, I probably should pray, should not be part of our vocabulary. No. It should be, God, I have this problem, I need this help, please help me, and then we go out and do something. Okay, that prayer is not to stop us from doing anything, but this is a starting point. God, this is the issue I'm facing. This is, you know, help me make the right decisions today. Crucify my flesh so that I can make right decisions today, whatever it might be. But when we get into a situation, we go, God, I need directions. I need help. And then we go out and we start doing things, and God will start, you know, guide us in a very strong way and tell, tell us what to do and what not to do. He doesn't say, 
sit down, make this prayer, and then do nothing. God, I need money. I'm going to sit in my bed all day until you throw the money in my lap. <laughs> Won't work. Okay? God will lead you to some way to get money. When I, when I was, before I got the job at the prison, we would say, God, here's your bills. How are you going to pay them? And then I'll get a phone call saying, uh, I need computer work, or I need this, or I need that. And, and I would go out and earn some money. But God answered those prayers by giving me jobs. I could, I could have gone, well, God, well, no, God's going to provide me no money. Uh, you just keep your job. <laughs> you know, well, God, God, you know, and God's going to say, no, I, provide, I was all set to provide you the money. Happy, blessed is the man whose strength is in God. Whose strength is in God. We're hiding in God. We're, we're resting in him. He is our provider. He's our defender. It doesn't mean we don't do anything in the process, but he is the one that provides. And it says, whose heart are the ways of them. Is our heart, our innermost being, seeking God? This should be true of the Christians, because why? God dwells in our heart. This morning's Sunday school was on the whole idea of the new covenant, that God would write his laws on our hearts. He would remove the stony heart of the flesh. He would put a fleshly heart in us. And you know what he does when he does that? He not only puts that flesh heart in, he dwells in that heart that he puts there, that innermost being, and says, I'm going to keep my laws in you because I'm dwelling here. I'm dwelling within this heart, and I'm, because I'm here, I will crucify the flesh, and I will pour out of you all the laws and obedience. One of the greatest things about Christianity is because we're walking with him, he changes who we are, and we become more like him because we have been submerged into the Holy Spirit, and we have been enveloped by God, and he lives within us and comes out. Many times in this case, because God is brought everywhere we go, the lost can get very convicted just by our presence. Without even saying a word, the lost can be convicted because we're bringing God in the middle of the situation. And I've seen this happen more than once. People will apologize to me for saying something. This has happened long before I was a pastor. You know, they'd use God's name in vain. Oh, I'm sorry. Go, I'm not the one that's being hurt. You're hurting God. But they're convicted because God is in the middle of everything they do. We get things simplified quite often because we bring God in the middle of, our, of everything we do. And sometimes people don't do the things they would normally do around other people. Because God is convicting them, not because we're speaking and saying things, but we have brought God into the middle of darkness and the light shines forth. And we, and I hope you probably have felt this at times when you come together with a group of Christians, how God's presence and light is there. And people feel that. They may not even know what it is that they're feeling. They just know that God, that they just know they're convicted and there's something different about you. And you look and they look at you and say, what's different? Sometimes it really bothers them because they don't understand. Because they don't understand spiritual things. And they're walking around blind. And all of a sudden there's a little light in their situation. And all of a sudden they see things that they're not used to seeing. We see things that, we're not, that, that people don't see because God is opening our eyes. And here he's saying, 
Blessed is the person whose strength is in you, whose heart is in the ways. Verse 6, who passing through the valley of Baca, make it a well, and rain also fills the pools. The valley of pa Baca, as best we understand it, was a pass that they used to get to Jerusalem. And Baca means weeping. It was a very perilous uh, pass, and it caused exertion. They had to work hard to get through it. And it had perils involved and usually brought weeping. And it says, those who pass through the valley of weeping. This takes us back to Psalm 23, passing through the shadow of the valley of death. We pass through these things because they have no power over us when we're following God. Has there been times in your life when you've gone through something that you get to the end of it and you kind of go, you just walk through it and you look back and say, wow, that was a pretty rough point in my life, but you didn't know it. We pass through these troubles, through these things because our eyes are on God and he's walking with us. The old poem, Footprints in the Sand, where the guy looks back and says, you know, God, you said you'd always be with me. Why is there places with one set? Because that's when I was carrying you. And when he's carrying us, we don't see the hard times as much because he's right there. He's protecting. He is lifting us up. And there's many times in my lifetime when I've looked at things and go, wow, I, don't, I haven't been through any problems in the last, you know, last whatever period of time. Mm -hmm. And you kind of look, and you start thinking about it and going, yes, I did. This happened, this happened, this happened. But if our eyes are focused on God and we're trying to make the decisions for God, a lot of times we don't see the problems. And I, as I've said many times, sometimes we get knocked around because we're looking at the problems and they're not really even really big problems when you, when you get enough distance between you, you look back and say, man, I got thrown for a loop and it, there was nothing. <laughs> nothing really happened and I got tossed all over the place. Why? Because my eyes weren't on God. I was outside of, I wasn't being hiding in God's power and his, his fortress. And I got blown around by the storms. When we are hiding in God, we're dwelling in him as a strong refuge. And the winds blow, they don't affect a strong fortress. In this building here with all this brick, we could be protected from major storms. We could be protected from storms that would tear a lot of the houses down in this, in this area because they're not very well built for a lot of them. This is the way God is. He's that strong tower. When we're hiding in him, the storms can blow against God until the end of the world, and he's going to say nothing happened to him. He has the power to be victorious. And he's saying, just hide in me. Hide in me. And this is what we were talking about this morning. How often do we just walk outside of God without any armor, without any protection, saying, I can do this. And we get knocked about, beat up, bloodied spiritually. And we come crawling back to God and say, let me back in the tower. Let me, let me hide. And he lets us in. And usually those times are not that bad a problem to us. We just aren't in the right place. We're not 
in his strength. We're not where we belong. And he says, we pass through Baca, making it a well, and the rains fill the pools. When we're in the right places, the storms are good. You know, storms, if you're outside, are terrible to be in. But we also need those storms to provide for us. We need rain and storms to give water to the crops, to produce, rain, uh, produce water in the, in the desert that we need. Those times of trouble, if we're hiding in God, produce life in us and, and give us life. We look back on them and say, this is what God did. The old story about we see the backside of a tapestry. If anybody's ever looked at the back of a tapestry with all those knots and, and everything in it, it looks, looks pretty miserable. And you're like, why would anybody do this? Why would they make all these knots? And that's the side people work on. Mm. Okay, they work on the backside. But then you flip it over and you see, if you know what they're doing, a beautiful picture that's developed in, the, in that tapestry. We're on the wrong side looking at the tapestry. Where God is building a tapestry in this life that looks terrible to us. And we're looking at God, why are you doing these things? When you get to heaven, we'll see the tapestry from the other side and see that God had a purpose for everything that he did. Everything that we went through has a purpose. We may not see it now, but the question is, will we trust God? Will we trust God for what we're going through? And sometimes that's hard. I'm, I'm going to admit, sometimes it's very hard to trust God for some of the things we go through. And we look at it and say, it doesn't make any sense. Sometimes if we get enough distance from the problem, we look back and say, oh, it wasn't that bad. It, you know, this is what God did. Some of it we're not going to know until we get to heaven why he did what he did. But you know, God is always trying to teach us. He's trying to grow us. The trials that we walk through are designed to grow us, to strengthen us. And they may crush us if we don't depend on him, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose is not to crush us. The purpose is for us to grow through it. And we look at some of the things that these people in the scriptures went through. You know, how would you have liked to have been Joseph? You know, the, the promise that you're about to be your brothers and, and even that your father and mother are going to bow down to you and then you're made a slave. And you stay that way for 13 years. Mm -mm. Saying, God, I thought of my brothers were going to bow down to me. What is, what is the purpose of this being in this slavery and being in prison for 13 years? You know, that, that crazy woman accused me of, of raping her and I, was, and I did what I was supposed to do. I ran from the, ran from the problem. And I ended up in prison for it. 13 years. How many of us would suffer for 13 years if God asked us to? Without griping, because apparently he didn't gripe. It never records him griping. And then he gets promoted. Or being Daniel, a young, a teenager, being sent into captivity. He never saw his home again. He never went back to Israel. As far as we know, he died in the service of the king. Would we be able to give our life as a permanent way for him to do whatever he wanted us to do, taking us away from family? This is what we look at. 
How strong are we relating to God? Will we let him go? Verse 7, they go from strength to strength. Every one of, one of them in Zion appears before God. This is the wanderers going through that hard time. They go from strength to strength. And what would happen? David's picturing this event. Three times a year, every male had to go to the temple to sacrifice. And it became almost a party attitude. The further ones left, you know, they started with just a handful of people from their town. The closer they got to Jerusalem, the more people were on the road. They would get stronger and stronger. And they would get to Jerusalem, or Zion. Remember, Zion is another name for Jerusalem. And everybody who went to Jerusalem ended up at the tabernacle to be for God, because that's where they were headed. For the feast, there was a sacrifice that had to be made. Every single person had to end up at the temple to appear before God. And he's saying, they all go back. They all go and they appear before God. Thankfully, we get to appear before God even easier. All we have to do is call on him. In Hebrews, it says that we have access to God. Do you realize how special that is? The Jews did not have access to God. All the other religions really don't have access to God unless they perform whatever it is that they need to perform to do it. The specialness of having that access to God is something that most religions do not have. Christians have a relationship with God. We have access to God. We can go to him without performing a whole bunch of rituals. If you watch some of these shows and people that have to get go through so many different steps to be able to appear before their God, have to ask, give so, many, so much money and so much offering of, of grains and meats or whatever it is they have to do, say so many things to get there, say all these ritualistic activities, we just get to appear before him and speak to him. And a matter of fact, we're told, do not use vain repetition as the Gentiles do. And if you listen to it, the Hindus have to you know, pronounce their particular prayers be, to get access to God. The Muslims, when they pray, it's been interesting as I've watched the Muslims pray on their Friday prayers. They all say exactly the same words. They are not really talking to Allah, their God. They're performing ritualistic prayers, hoping that it will please him enough for them to be blessed, and not even knowing if it will. And we get to come to God and make our request without all of this ritual that's involved in all these different places. All God is asking is, confess your sins and come before him. This is some, so special for us. Verse 8, O Lord God of the host, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. So he's begging him, God, hear. And that first hear, that first hear in this is to hear and obey. And the second one, it says, to give ear means hearken. Just listen. How many times do we want God just to listen? Well, hopefully we want to have him listen and answer. But so special that we get to, that we just want him to listen just to listen to our call, knowing that he's listening. If we forget to confess our sins, sometimes it feels like all we're doing is talking to ourselves and our, our prayers are not going any higher than the ceiling. 
and Peter tells us that for for men, if they don't, if they are not living with their wives in a peaceful way, and they're right right with their wives, then God isn't going to listen to them. Yeah, this is important. Being right with God is important for Him to hear, because if we are not confessed up to date, having having our things, we do not have the fellowship. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. This is not talking about our salvation. Okay, When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're saved, we're going to heaven. We may or may not have many rewards when we get there, depending on how we've let him work with us. But if we have sin between us and God, we do not have close, intimate fellowship with him. This is important for us to understand. If we want that fellowship with him, we need to confess our sins to him. And he will have, say, come on up. Come on into my lap. You know, come and worship with me. Come and sit with me. But the more sin that we have unconfessed, the more distant we're going to feel from God. Why? Because of the conviction. You cannot approach the holy God with sin in your heart and sin in your life. Because as you get closer, you will feel conviction. Just as we said at the beginning, we bring God into every situation. We bring him with us, and, and the lost world gets convicted. If we're not walking correctly, we will get convicted. And we have two choices when we get convicted. The first and best one is to confess our sins and come back into fellowship. Unfortunately... A lot of the times we pull away from God. Most of us have been at that at some point in our life where we feel that conviction and instead of asking forgiveness and saying, God, I want to have that relationship with us, we start pulling away. We stop praying. We stop reading our Bible. We stop coming up, hanging out with God's people because we're so convicted by being around them, we do the wrong decisions. And God is saying, all you had to do was confess. Confess your sins and come forward. And we want to, want to encourage people, remember that when you're struggling with some sin, God is saying, just confess your sin. Don't pull away from him. I've done it in my life. Everybody has done it in their life at some point in time. Hopefully all it takes is one time for you to learn your lesson. But for some of us, it's taken multiple times. But God is saying, when you get convicted, confess your sin and draw toward him. Then he goes in verse 9, Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of your anointed. This is kind of an interesting statement. Behold, O God. Pay close attention, God. O God, our shield. He's our protector. He's our shield. We've covered this many times. And it says, And look, and this is to gaze intently upon and really pay attention the face of your anointed. The word anointed in Hebrew is the same word they use for Messiah. When God looks at us as his children, he sees his son. Because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So when God looks at us, what he sees is Jesus. Doesn't matter what we've done, he sees his son. Why? 
because the very first step of the salvation is that he justifies us. He declares us perfect. And then from that point on, when he looks at us, he sees Jesus. Now we know that we need to be sanctified and all that other stuff that goes on, but he looks at us and he sees the face of his son. I, I kind of joke about it, but you know, most of us sin multiple times, probably every minute, much less every hour. Uh, it's very hard. How many times when we're in church do we get this random thought coming across our brain that is from left field, which is an attack from Satan in, in most cases, but the question is, do we dwell on it in the middle of that, or do we cast it aside saying, well, that's not for me, but how easy is it when you sit down to read your Bible to, for your mind to, dwell, to wander into some, some really weird thoughts sometimes? How often do we, we get ready to read our Bible and we get our attention onto something totally different and get totally distracted and not read the Bible? All of these things, when we decide to follow God, Satan is going to try to stop us. And when I say Satan, remember, I'm not saying Satan. None of us here are probably deserving the attention of Satan directly. But there's plenty of demons out there that he has assigned to every single place to say, stop these Christians from trying to walk with God. Get a phone call. How many times do we get a phone call just as we're sitting down to say prayer, say our prayers, or to read our Bible, or go to church, or whatever it is, and the phone rings? We don't, you know, the one thing about this that we have to keep in mind, nothing says we have to answer a telephone. Especially nowadays when we have an answering machines that can answer the telephone for us while we're ready to serve God and then come back. There's, can't wait for a few minutes while we, while we finish serving God. So we want to keep this in mind. Again, we go back to what can keep us from God? What keeps us from his people? What can keep us from reading the scriptures? What can keep us from spending time in prayer? And it's going to be different from each individual. For each individual, there's going to be something different on, on what level. And I'm not saying everything is bad that keeps you from doing those things, but you need to be able to realize. Try to use that in a free zone to learn how to pray better. And that's a good prayer, because all of us need to pray better. No matter how, how good we are at prayer or how bad we are at prayer, we can all do it better. There's an old statement. St. Francis of Assisi was asked one time, if you, knew God, if you knew God was coming tomorrow, what would you do? And he said, I'd continue working in my garden because he knew that he had been doing everything that God had asked him to do. He didn't have any special things to run off and do. Martin Luther one time said he was so busy the next day that he had to get up an extra hour earlier so he could pray an extra hour for his busy day. Verse 10, I love verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. There's a song out there. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. It's your desire with God. You are so hungry to spend time with God that you would swap a number of days just to be with him. Yeah, I think. The idea of just desiring God so much that it is a, it's like a thousand. Hopefully you've been there. Hopefully you've felt God's spirit move so much that there's just... It may even seem like sometimes when you were in his presence that a long time has gone by and no time has gone by at all. How many times have you, we're following this schedule and yet when you read, the, you read what is scheduled, it's, you find that it's exactly what you needed for that day's activities. God's word is alive and powerful. The second part of verse 10, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. 
You remember, you want to think about this. We don't really think of doorkeepers, but doorkeepers, they were a guard in one sense. They, they, they controlled who came in and out. But it was also one of the, the lesser important jobs because you had other people that was the actual protectors. The doorkeeper, his, his main job was to open and close the door. They were to be hidden, they weren't to be seen. Their job was to open and close the door and to a some degree not open it to the wrong people. But you know, so they were somewhat a guard, but he's going, I'd rather be just the doorkeeper in God's house. But the doorkeeper was a very insignificant post for the servant. They were never going to be seen if they did their job right because they would stand in the shadows Okay, and the only time they would show up is when the door was to be opened or closed. And even then, they were to do it quickly and not be draw attention to themselves. This is something that is even said to this day, good servants are not noticed because they don't do things to be noticed. Mm -hmm. Okay, If you're a good servant, you're not trying to make yourself look good. You're serving the master to make them look good. How many of us are good servants for God? Or are we trying to make ourselves look good in some way through our service? This is what we have to be careful of. And for people who are out in front, it's even harder to be able to be, it's all about God and not make yourself look good. And this is where a temptation is for many pastors and teachers, is that people start praising them and it goes into their head that, oh, I'm doing something. And it really has to be God is doing something. As much growth as we've seen in this church and amongst all of the people in this room, I love it, but it's God that's doing it. I'm the one he's using, but it could have really been anybody who would have listened to God for the same growth to happen. But it's so important for us always to be focused on God. What are we doing, and is he being blessed? Is he being glorified in all that's done? Verse 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield, the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. God is a sun. And this literally means that he shines and illuminates our life. And because that's what the sun does. The sun brings light. We need that light to walk. God says, I will show you your path. And later on, we're getting Psalm 119. He will tell us, he is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. He is the one that reveals our steps. He keeps us from stumbling and falling all over, the, all over the place if we spend time walking in the light. So many people, and think back before you got saved, how many times did you stumble and trip over things? Maybe even after you got saved, if you really weren't walking with them that close, you stumble and trip over things that you shouldn't have tumbled and tripped over if you had just been spending time with him, letting him light up your path. And we've all done it. We've all gone the wrong direction. And it says he's our shield. And this is twice now that he's saying that God is our shield in this chapter. God is our protector. He is the one that wants to keep us. The shield was important when you went out to battle. The tower was important when you went out to battle. All over the scriptures, even in the New Testament, it talks about be in Christ. Put on the full armor of God. Every piece of the armor of God is Jesus. He is the truth. He is the, our righteousness. He is the helmet that protects our brain. He is the sword of the spirit. He is the shield. Every part of the armor was put on Christ. 
be in Christ. Different language than the, the language that being used by Dan, uh, David about hide in the fortress, but Paul's using the same language, be in Christ, be clothed in Christ. The best thing that can happen when you're in Christ is Satan comes knocking on the door to your heart and, and God goes and answers it like, what would you like? Amen. You know, what do you want? Uh, nothing, I'll see you later when the other guy, when the other guy will come to the door. You know, when that other person who lives there comes to the door, I'll, I'll come back. We need him so much that he's the one that mm -hmm. takes on Satan. Because we can't take him on. No. We, you, know, you think about this. What chance do we stand against the demons at all? The demons have been around for six, 7,000 years or more, depending on how far back they go from creation. Just being alive that long gives them more knowledge than we'll ever have. They walk so in the spirit tricky. world. Yeah, they're so tricky. Yeah. They walk in the spirit world. They see things that we're not even aware of. And we think that we can stand up against they the wiles of Satan. We, we need to be in Christ so that the, he is the one that deals with them. He is the one that answers them. He is the one that says, I've already defeated you. Because he has defeated him. I love the old statement that, you know, that God is, that Jesus beat the devil with a big ugly stick. I have that poster. You know, he, he's defeated Satan. Satan is a defeated enemy, at least for Christ. He's still a ferocious enemy against us. He may be a toothless, broken lion, but he's still a lion. Okay? And an injured animal is something you don't want to be across. Especially a wild injured animal but even if your own pet is injured how easy is it for them to snap out at you and bite you because they're they're afraid they're hurt and you're not trying to hurt them you're trying to help them and yet they'll bite and, and scratch and claw and whatever else it is they'll do because they're afraid and they're hurting satan is a very dangerous adversary even though he's defeated because he is backed into a corner he hasn't been sent into hell yet and that won't happen until after the white throne judgment and through the millennial kingdom when he is tied up in chains for a thousand years. But right now, he is an injured animal fighting hard against God. And that makes him very dangerous for us if we're not in Christ. And he says that God will give grace and glory and he will not withhold any good thing from those that walk upright. God wants to give us good things. Wants to. He desires to. As any good parent would, he wants us to have good things. He's not going to give us so many things that we get spoiled. He's not going to give us so many things that we turn away from him. But he wants to give us good. We need to grab hold of that. Too many people believe that God is a stingy, you know, mean-spirited person in our life that says, well, maybe I'll give you this little eyedropper of water, you know, give you just enough to survive. No, he's wanting to dump the blessings on us. But you know, unfortunately, what happens when people get blessed so often? They become complacent. They become complacent and they walk away from God. You serve God, you get blessings, and you, and you get these financial blessings, and you start buying the toys that blessings, blessings bring. 
you, know, you buy the quads and the RVs and the boats and, and you take the trips and you start forgetting God. And because you need to play with your toys, you drift away from God. You know how many people I've seen that got blessed by God and, and bought their toys and then the next thing you know, they hardly spend any time with God? Because the toys become a God to them. They've got to use those toys. And I, and I understand that idea. If I, if I had the toys, I'd want to use them. Maybe we didn't have the time. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have the time. It's, like, it's like Philip's 2, 5. It says your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Yep. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I've told people, I love to travel. I would love to have an RV and just spend time traveling, going wherever I want. It'll never happen because I'm too devoted to church. I could not be away for months at a time from the church that God has called me to. And I couldn't even do it even before I was a pastor. I just couldn't see taking that much time. So hopefully when I get to heaven, God will let me travel. <laughs> so that would be a heart content there. But God is wanting to bless. God wants to bless us. He doesn't want, he's not stingy. He's not being withholding for those who are upright that will continue to serve him. Verse 12. O oh Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusts in you. If we just trust in him, God will bless. He will honor, give us honor. There's a scripture that says that the man that walks with God will stand before kings. You know how many people I know that have actually stood before kings? I actually know people who have, who have gone and stood before premiers and kings and, and leaders. And I've read a lot more stories where people have. God will lift us up in ways that we don't even expect if, it's what, if we'll stand for him in front of them. Because God wants his name exalted. And we will stand before rulers. And he told the disciples, don't worry about what you will say when you're called to give account. Because the Holy Spirit will fill our mouths. And we just need to learn. Now, if we can't be sharing the gospel with the individuals in our world, we're not going to be called to share the gospel with the authorities. How many times are we intimidated to talk to a friend, a neighbor, somebody that we're standing in line with at the grocery store? If we can't talk to those people, God's not going to put us in, in front of magistrates and leaders because he can't trust us to do it to the, to the small. We are, those who are faithful in the small will get more given to them. We are faithful in the small things and he'll give us greater and greater. And that is in all areas of our life. Do we use our talents? Do we lift God up? Is he glorified by what we do? We need to be able to be faithful. Faithfully open our mouth and share the gospel. Learn how to share the gospel. Find out how to share with people. Talk to people. Because God needs, or doesn't need, but uses our voice to bring the gospel. And that's a privilege we get. We are privileged to give the gospel to people and share with them the desire of God to bring them to them. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity that you love us so much, that you want to give us blessings, that you want to be our fortress, you want to be our shield, you want to be our strength. 
and that all you ask is that we allow you to lead and guide and that we humble ourselves and allow you to be the one that goes forward with us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.